Welcome to Awaken to Grace. Today we come to one of the most fascinating chapters of the entire Bible, Revelation chapter 6. This is a transition in the book, and here we see the beginning, the opening of what the Bible calls the seven-year tribulation period. Well, today I'm so excited to walk you through these scriptures because I'm going to explain in vivid detail what some have called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We know them as the four horsemen of Revelation. We're going to explain what this white horse and the rider of it. We're going to explain the red horse, the black horse, and then the pale horse. All of it has incredible, significant meaning I think, to the world in which we live today. And I'm going to show you how God is preparing the earth right now for the things that are to come. So let's take our Bibles today. Let's go to Revelation chapter 6 and let's walk through it verse upon verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. If this chapter frightens you, if this scares you, if it unnerves you, this is again why it's so important for us to understand the chronological order of the book of Revelation. My view, my interpretation of scripture that I have tried to lay out for you over the last several weeks is that we, the blood-bought church of Jesus, will not be on the earth during this time period. We will be watching from the balconies of heaven. As we go further into the book, things are going to get more frightening. Things are going to get more scary. But it's important for you to know that if you're born again, you will not be here to experience it. Why? Because as I have argued in weeks past, and I'll continue to lay out what in my view is very clear evidence... Chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Revelation involve the church age, the seven churches of Revelation, the seven golden candlesticks that's in, the, in chapter 1. When we come to chapter 4, as I argued four weeks ago, the Greek verb harpazo, the verb come up here, I believe is the rapture of the church. From chapter 3 all the way to chapter 19, the church is never mentioned again in the book of Revelation through the entire tribulation period. We see tribulation saints, but that's not the church of Jesus Christ. The church is gone. The church is raptured. So beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, that's a transition of the book. I believe that's the rapture of the church. Chapters 4 and 5, they all describe worship around the throne of God with which we will be, the 24 elders representing the church. But chapter 6 on, if chapters 4 and 5 deal with worship around the throne, you need to understand chapter 6 on to 18 deals with the wrath of the Lamb. And you know what God has promised His people in the book of Thessalonians and throughout the rest of the Bible? It teaches that we will be spared from the wrath of God. Yet another evidence that the church will be raptured before the tribulation ever begins. 
So chapters 4, chapters 5, that is the worship around the throne of God. I believe that's the Bema, judgment seat of Christ. That's where saints are rewarded. That's where we receive the crowns of Scripture that we are rewarded with, with the way that we've lived this life. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, all of that's detailed there. Now we come to chapter 6, and this is another transition in the book. This is the beginning of the tribulation period. And what is the tribulation period? If you're taking notes, you may want to note this. It's very interesting. And this will help you understand the rest of the book of Revelation. The seven-year tribulation is the most documented period of all human existence. Jesus tells us so much about it in Matthew 24 and in the book of Luke and the book of Mark. I think Mark 13 and Luke 21, if I'm not mistaken. Matthew 24 is what I want to parallel today. It's the most documented time in human existence. And what Jesus said of the seven-year tribulation is he said it's going to be such terrible days that if the days were not cut short, no flesh would survive. The earth has never, Jesus said, it will be a time that human history has never seen nor ever will see again. And this is what the seven, the seven years of the tribulation is. If you're going to take notes, note this. It's a period of seven years involving three primary sets of judgments. Now, why is God bringing judgments on the earth? This is so critical to you understanding the book of Revelation. All of the Bible is heading toward, it is culminating to the reign of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. What did we say two weeks ago in chapter 5? What is the scroll in the right hand of God Almighty? What is the scroll that only the Lamb of God, only Jesus Christ, no man was able, only Jesus to open? That scroll is the title deed of the earth. It's the inheritance. And in ancient days, a will or a testament or an inheritance, a legal document written within. And the reason we know it's a legal document, because it's written without. And because it's sealed seven times. In ancient times, they would seal a legal document, a scroll. They would seal it with seven witnesses. It would be sealed seven times. Do you keep noticing the number seven popping up? That's the, that's the structure of the book. It's God's favorite number. Seven churches, seven lampstands, seven years of tribulation, all, all kinds of sets of seven, seven seals. And listen, note this, the, the tribulation period is three sets of judgments. And what's the purpose of the judgments? To bring about the kingdom of God. The Bible says, Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of of our God. There are 1,800 scriptures in your Bible pointing to the kingdom of Christ. And that's where all of history is moving toward. See, when God gave man authority in the Garden of Eden and we sinned, do you know what mankind did? We forfeited the earth to Satan. That's why today Satan is called the God of this world. And when Christ takes that scroll, 
It paves the way. The judgments pave the way to the kingdom of God, which we will be part of. Amen? The last verse of chapter 5, we are going to rule and we are going to reign on the earth with the Lord Jesus Christ in his great millennial kingdom. That's the purpose of the tribulation, to bring about the kingdom. That's why when Satan offered the kingdoms of the world to Christ in Matthew chapter 4, in one of the three great temptations of Christ, notice Jesus refused the temptation, but Jesus did not refute it. Why could Satan offer the kingdoms of this world? Because he's the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. Why? Until Christ takes. Well, I can't get into all of the detail I want to get into. I'll never get into this. We'll keep going. All right. <laughs> but what is my point? The seven-year tribulation begins here in chapter 6, verse 1. This is a transition in the book. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 is this current church age. We're living in it right now. Chapter 4, verse 1. The rapture of the church, the harpazo, will be around the throne of God. And then the tribulation period will begin, as we saw last week, Daniel 9, 24 to 27. If you missed last week's sermon, this begins the 70th week of prophecy that Daniel prophesied in the book of Daniel. This is the beginning of it. This is another great transition. And from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 16 are going to be the judgments. And what are the judgments? Quickly note them. Three sets of judgments. And this will help you understand the book. The judgments are unrolled out of the scroll of chapter 5. So the first set of judgments are what's called the seal judgments. And there's seven of them. We'll examine that today. Then with each seventh judgment... Like a scroll, it unrolls, it unfolds. So after we come to the seventh seal judgment, it unrolls into seven trumpet judgments. When we come to the seventh trumpet judgment, it unrolls, the scroll continues into the seven bowl judgments. And the way that Revelation is divided, after the sixth judgment... It's like a curtain goes down. Think of it as a play. When you read the book of Revelation, read it as though you're reading a play. And what happens is the curtain goes up and there are six judgments. And before that seventh judgment comes, it's almost like Scripture's giving us a chance to catch our breath. And then the curtain goes down. And then it goes back up with the seventh judgment, which unrolls the next set of judgments. So there are 21 total, three sets of what? You guessed it, seven. Seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments. Today, we're in the beginning of the tribulation. We're going to see Christ break the first seal. Verse 1, what are the seals? Remember, ancient legal documents were sealed with seven seals. They were wrapped with seven seals as Christ breaks each seal. And we're in heaven watching all of this unfold. And as he breaks each seal 
Each seal is a judgment upon the earth and those who dwell on the earth in that day. So Caleb, introduce us to the first seal with verses 1 and 2. Once again, please. Verse 1 says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now remember, the, the four living creatures who we were introduced to and explained in chapter 4... These are angelic beings. These are four created angelic cherubim beings. And remember, the book of Revelation, it's patterns, okay? And if you can find patterns, you'll begin to understand the book better. And remember what we said. Every time in the book of Revelation that the four living creatures are talking, they're referencing Events on the earth. Every time the 24 elders are speaking, which represents the church, they speak of events in heaven. That is a pattern that will help you through the entire book. And here, the four living creatures, each one of them, is going to introduce us to a rider on a horse. Now, it's an idiom now in our literature. It's called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The Bible don't call it that. That's an idiom in, in literature. But... There are four riders to four horses. These are the first four seals of judgment upon the earth. We're going to deep dive them right now, and we're going to understand what all four are. The first one, as Caleb read, is the rider of a white horse. Note this, first of all. Throughout all of Scripture, horses represent judgment. Horses speak of judgment throughout all the scriptures. And God is getting ready to unleash judgment upon the earth. These are not judgments from Satan. It's very important. It is as clear as crystal clear can be. The end of chapter 6. This is the wrath of the Lamb. These are judgments of God upon this earth. And let me just throw a teaser in here. What... What does our media today talk about almost more than anything? Climate change. You listening to me right now? Say amen if you're listening. Amen. Climate change, listen to me. I'm telling you, it is going to become the religion of this world. Climate change will be the religion of the tribulation period. And after these seven seal judgments unfold, do you know what's going to unfold next? There's going to be the trumpet judgments. And do you know what the judgments, the trumpet judgments are going to be upon? The earth. The green grass, the green trees, the water, the sun. Listen, right now, they're working on a law right now that is craziness. And you know what they're saying? It's called America the Beautiful. You, I, I can't get into all of this. Oh, I'm never going to get through it. Can I just take a minute and tell you? Right now, they're crafting a law called America the Beautiful. And these crazy people who worship the earth. Do you know what they're literally saying in this law? It's a federal takeover of land. 
Right now, the U.S. government owns only about 11, 12% of land in America. They say by 2030, their goal is to own 30% of land. They say by 2050, their goal is to own 50% of the land in America. It's socialism. It's Marxism. And it's craziness. But why is it happening? See, you as a Christian, you can't just yell and bark and get all mad over all these crazy politics. You got to know where the Bible's leading. And do you know where the Bible's leading? It's leading. Listen. America the beautiful. Here's what they're saying. This is literally what they're saying in this law is that trees have rights too. I just want to say, go hug a tree. (laughs) But this is where it's so dangerous. See, this is where these wicked men and women, this is where it's so dangerous. They're saying you don't own the right to own trees because trees have their own rights. Friends, do you know where the, the seal, the, the trumpet judgments, God himself is going to burn up a third of all trees on the earth. He's going to burn up a third of all green grass upon the earth. Why? Because climate change is becoming the new religion of the earth. And God is going to judge it. I don't even know where I'm at in the text. We, we not, we're not even... Caleb, you let me get way off in the weeds. You're supposed to keep me on track, brother. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to get to all that. But here is my point. The Bible, listen, the Bible is ahead of tomorrow's news reports. And they can manipulate and they can lie and they can craft and they can do all. Listen, Washington can do all this stuff. Politics, media, they can do all. But let me tell you, the Bible tells us everything and it will keep you ahead of the curve can we say amen Amen. so this first seal i went all the way into the trumpets the first seal judgment is this rider on a white horse who is this rider many christians get confused here and let me try to bring clarity to this Some believe the rider of the white horse is the lord jesus why because in chapter 19 he's going to ride a white horse To the battle of Armageddon. And we all will be on white horses. The bride of Christ. Are there animals in heaven? Yeah. There's horses. (laughs) Because we're going to be riding them. The Bible says that, that the lion will lay down with the lamb. The Bible says that the child will play with the otter and the snake. Yeah, there's animals in heaven. So... They get confused because they say this rider on a white horse, because Christ rides a white horse, this... No, let me be crystal clear here. This rider is none other than the Antichrist. This is that coming world ruler who is going to ride on to the world stage as no man has ever done in human history. And this rider on a white horse, he is what the Bible calls the Antichrist. 
Christ, or that word anti means instead of, or we could say the pseudo Christ. He is the imitator. He's the fake. He's the phony. And everything that Christ does, including the riding of a white horse, this pseudo Christ, this antichrist, he will imitate everything that the Lord Jesus Christ does, including this coming on a white horse. Now, what's this white horse speak of? It speaks of peace. How do we know this? Well, notice what the text says. He comes in three ways. He comes with a crown. He comes with a bow. And he comes with conquering and to conquer. Now, understand this is a white horse. This speaks of peace. How do we know this? This is why it's so important to study the Bible, not just in our English language, but in the original language. In the Greek, there are two words for crowns. There is what's called a diadem, which is a sovereign crown. It's a ruling crown. And then there are Stephanos crowns, which is an overcomer's crown. When you get to chapter 19 and Christ returns, remember chapter 19 says, On his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. On the other thigh is written, the word of God. Amen. And Christ is going to, recon- he's going to return with many diadems upon his head. That's ruling sovereign crowns. But that's not this pseudo-Christ. What he wears on his head is a Stephanos, an overcomer crown. It's not a diadem. It's not a sovereign crown. Amen? The second thing is that he comes with a bow. Now, why does he have a bow and not arrows? It's because this speaks of diplomacy. The Antichrist is not going to be a ruthless world leader at first. He's going to transition into that. I believe what's going to happen is I believe the rapture of the earth is going to take place. And when that happens, there is going to be chaos like you could have never dreamed. And then I believe Daniel says that little horn, which I think speaks of obscurity. There's going to be a man, that little horn, come on the scene. And he is going to have every answer to every global issue. That man will bring peace to the Middle East like no one has ever dreamed of. What President Carter to President Biden could not accomplish, this one world ruler will accomplish And that's why last week we were in Daniel 9, verse 27, when that Antichrist, that pseudo-Christ, enforces a treaty, a covenant with Israel, then Israel will be at peace. And then I'm not going to get into it today, but there's going to be a war called Gog and Magog, Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. That's where the Bible predicts that Russia... The land to the north. You know what else the Bible predicts? Is that that land to the north is going to create a treaty, an alliance, a coalition with Persia. You know who Persia is? Until 1939, Iran was called Persia. The Bible mentions Persia many, many, many times. They're going to have a key role in the last days. And do they have a key role in our world today? You betcha. And who is Russia right now becoming buddy-buddy with? Iran. Where is Russia right now today? They're in Syria. Where is Iran meddling right now today? In Lebanon. I'm telling you, the world 
is said. And when this Antichrist, when this world ruler steps onto the stage in what the Bible references, a white horse, in other words, peace, he's going to bring world and global peace to the world after the harpazo, after the chaos of the rapture of the church. And how do we know he's going to come in peace? Because he's going to have an overcomer's crown, because he's going to have a bow with no arrows, which speaks of diplomacy. Now, don't waste your time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, because you're not going to figure it out. Daniel says he's a little horn, which I think means he's going to come out of obscurity. But furthermore, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians to speak to the church about the coming of Jesus. That's where, again, the doctrine of the rapture is taught. <coughs> 1 Thessalonians 4. The rapture of the church. But then false teachers came in and taught that they've already missed the day of the Lord and they shook the church. So Paul writes 2 Thessalonians to assure the church you've not missed the coming of Christ. And here's what you have to understand. It says in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians that that lawlessness one, that one full of lawlessness, that Antichrist cannot be revealed. Until the restrainer has been removed. And who's the restrainer? It's the Holy Spirit within the church. And when the Holy Spirit, when we're taken up, when we are harpazo, we are raptured, then that is when the Antichrist will come on the scene. So don't waste your time trying to figure out who it is. Friends, we won't know on this earth we'll see it from the balconies of heaven. So this pseudo-Christ, he comes in on a right horse speaking of peace. Caleb, take us to the next seal. Verse 3 says, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. You think there's a spirit of murder in the earth today? You wait till the church is removed. You wait till the restrainer is out of the way. There'll be murder that is unparalleled. Now again, in my view, this is where the great war with Russia and all these coalitions, this is where that takes place. What follows false peace? War. And this bright red horse speaks of war and murder. Now, there's a phrase throughout these horses, and note it, you, you don't need to miss this. And power was given to them, authority was given, permission was granted. Remember, no matter what chaos is on the earth, there's absolute control in heaven. Even in the midst of the most devastating judgments on the earth, God is in sovereign control. Can we say amen to that? See, friends, this is why these scriptures should not scare you. Your God is calling all the shots. <laughs> so what follows false peace, war and bloodshed? It won't be long before that rider on that red horse comes and a spirit of killing, a spirit of war, a spirit of murder is going to be unleashed on the population. Third seal. Verse 5 says, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. 
And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Now say amen if you're with me right now, because this is fascinating. I don't want you to miss this. You can kind of scratch your head and say, what in the world does that mean? If war follows false peace, what has history taught us that most often follows devastating wars? Famine. In the Bible, black often speaks of famine. Lamentations chapter 4, I believe Jeremiah, it's either chapter 11 or chapter 14. You'll have to fact check me there. In the Bible, black often speaks of famine. Why does the rider of this horse, of this black horse, why is he carrying scales? Because, friends, this is speaking of rationing food. This is very interesting. What does he hear out of the four living creatures? A denarius for one quart of wheat. What does that mean? Well, you have to understand the context of John's day. In the Roman days, a quart would have been the equivalent of one day's food rations, okay? A quart would equal one day's rations. What is a denarius? In the Bible days, a denarius was a day's wage. Do you know what this is predicting, my friends? Hyperinflation. It's predicting food shortages. It's predicting food rations. This is literally what the Bible is saying. It's going to take one entire day's wage. Think about how much you earn in one day. That's how much it will cost to eat one meal. And it gets even more specific. In Bible days, wheat would have been great quality food. But barley was considered animal feed. You humans ate wheat, barley would go to animals. And notice what he says, so specific. One denarius, an entire day's wage for one ration of food. But three of the lesser quality. I heard one commentator say this, and I thought this was a great way to look at it. In our world today, in our market today, this is what he's saying. A single person home, it would take one day's wage for one day of meat and potatoes. But for <laughs> listening, amen. I love it. <laughs> but for a family, for a, for a mom, dad, and children, it would take one day's wage for macaroni and cheese. That's a great analogy of what he's saying. One day's wage for decent food, one day's wage for three rations of very poor quality food. That's the speaking of hyperinflation. Now, here's another interesting thing. But he says, don't let the oil or the wine be harmed. Do you know what he's saying, my friends? He's saying there's going to be a polarization on the earth. Now, listen, this was written thousands of years ago. And it says at this time, there'll be a polarization on the earth. In other words, the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer. 
Can you see that in our world today? During this time period, those elites, oh, they'll have their oil and wine. But the average Joe, it'll be one day's wage for one ration of food. Isn't that fascinating? Now, the fourth seal. Verse 7 says, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Wow. Again, don't miss that. They were given authority. Satan's on a very short leash, and it's called God's sovereignty. This last horse, this pale horse, pale in the Greek here is Clorox. It's where we get our English word chlorine. And what's this speaking of? It's speaking of death. And this is literally what he's saying. Now say amen if you're with me. Because I, oh, don't miss this. Death and Hades. What's he saying? He's saying that there's going to be an ability for death to kill the body, but for Hades to kill the soul. Friends, that is the eternal separation away from God. See, if you're born again today, if your sins are washed in the blood of the Lamb, the Bible teaches you and I will die a physical death. We'll die the death of Adam unless the rapture takes place. You know, if the rapture takes place, we'll cheat death. We'll be the only generation of the earth that never died. We'll be translated from here to there. Harpazo. But if the coming of the Lord doesn't happen in our lifetime, you and I will die Adam's death. That's the first death. But then the Bible teaches what's called the second death. And do you know what the second death is? That's where your soul is condemned to hell apart from God. In this, it says death and Hades, the death of the body, the death of the soul. So if you're born again today, you'll only die once. That's the Adam's death. Then our soul goes to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. And you know what it says in Revelation 2 and 3? It says that when the second death, (laughs) in other words, when we stand in judgment before God, it says the second death will not harm believers. Do you know what the Greek meaning of that word harm is? It means it will not recognize us. What happened in the book of Exodus When the children of Israel, when the death angel came over the land of Egypt and the children of Israel took the blood of the lamb and applied the blood to the doorpost, what did the death angel do? It passed over. Amen. And if the blood of Christ is applied to you and your family, you know what's going to happen in the second death? It's going to pass over. It's not even going to recognize you. Amen. Hallelujah. That's because our life is hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Praise God. Amen. This this 
black horse, this rider, he's going to, he's going to come, death and Hades. And what's the la- Read that verse one more time, Caleb. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Just say amen if you're with me. You know, I can't see you, so I I can't tell if if you're paying attention or not. Can I show you how much God's preparing the earth for this time period? What's pestilence? That's plagues. It's disease. This diabolical coronavirus. But listen, now, now this is highly interesting. He says something that makes students of the Bible, it makes us scratch our heads. He mentions wild beast. There's three possible interpretations, and I'll let you draw your own conclusion. The first possibility is that wild beasts are going to just do that. They're going to turn savage. Does that mean that tigers and rhinoceros and things like that are just going to kill mankind? I don't think so. I think that's the least likely. The second possibility is that this is speaking of political leaders. The word for beast in the Greek is therion. Which means literally a wild animal, beast. What's interesting is every single time in the book of Revelation that Therion is used, it's speaking of the Antichrist and the false prophet, which means political leaders. Now, that would make sense if the political leaders, you know, very uh, usually famine does not happen because of lack of food, famine typically happens because of war and political corruption. So that would make sense if political leaders are so corrupt that they have their oil and wine, but the average Joe is dying of famine. It makes sense. Look at North Korea. That could be it. But may I propose a third possibility? Do you know that the CDC tells us that 75% of all diseases come from animals? You know, the most dangerous beasts are those that are microscopic. Could this be predicting things like bird flu? Things like West Nile virus. Things like Ebola. Things like coronavirus. Huh. We don't know. But it's... Here's my point. What the Bible was written thousands of years ago... We're watching and experiencing with our very eyes right now in the moment. Now the fifth seal. Oh, I'm so sorry, Caleb. So just, again, the succession here. The white horse speaks of a false peace. What follows false peace? The red horse, war and murder and bloodshed. What always follows devastating war? The black horse, the famine, the food rationings. And what follows famine? Death, pestilence, disease, possibly global pandemics. Fifth seal. Verse 9 says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. 
They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Before I explain why this is a judgment, let, let me just do a side commentary note here. You know, there are many, <clears throat> excuse me, there are many great Christians, many, many strong believers, born again, blood washed, who believe in a doctrine called soul sleeping. Have you ever heard of soul sleeping? The doctrine teaches, and again, many fine believers believe this, but I'm going to show you why I believe it's false. Many Christians believe that when you die, your soul is unconscious until the coming of Christ. The reason, one of the reasons they believe that is because in 1 Thessalonians 4, when the Bible does teach the rapture, it says those who are dead in Christ, those who are asleep, will rise first to meet the Lord in the air. So because of that, people, with, I believe it's error, but they believe that our soul is unconscious. Friends, I don't believe that at all. If this were the only proof we had, it's proof enough. These are believers who are killed for their faith, martyred, but where is their soul? It's in heaven, alive and well. They're crying out with a loud voice. They're not crying out for their vengeance. They're crying out for God's vengeance. Because here's what you have to understand. Again, in the book of Revelation, it says, All the judgments of God on the earth are just. They're just. They're righteous judgments. And these souls that had been martyred for Christ, they're crying out for God's vengeance. They know what's going on in the earth. They know the timing of everything happening on the earth. And they're asking the Lord, they're saying, how much longer until you execute your judgment? That tells us several things. Number one, it tells us that believers in heaven know what's happening on the earth today. My dad right now is in heaven. My dad never got to meet my two little boys Hudson and Jaybird. But you know what? I think he knows all about them. I think he knows all about them. I think he knows more about them than I know. But you know what Charles Spurgeon said? He said, you don't think when we get up there, we're going to have less sense than we had down here. We're going to know it all. Amen. We're going to see the full picture. Another interesting thing, and again, I don't believe in soul sleeping. These souls are conscious. They are aware of what's going on on the earth. They're crying out to God for vengeance. I don't believe in soul sleeping. What did Jesus tell the thief on the cross? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. What happened as Stephen was dying, being stoned to death? He saw the Lord Jesus Christ stand to receive his spirit. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't believe in soul sleeping at all. Paul said, I'm between the two. I don't know if it's better for me to go on or for your sake to stay here. Do you think Paul would say it's better to go on if he was going to be unconscious for the next 2,000 years? I don't think so. No, I reject that wholeheartedly. I think this verse alone is evident. Our loved ones who've gone on before us, friends, they are alive and well. Amen? Last thing I'll say on this, D.L. Moody told the people of his day in the 
late 1800s. He said, one day you'll open up the papers and they'll say, D.L. Moody has died. He said, don't you believe a word of it. He said, on that day, I'll be more alive than I ever was. Amen? Amen. And, oh, last thing I'll say. Oh, I hope you guys aren't bored with this. Last thing I'll say. Now, this does make us scratch our heads. And, and, and I, I, I've never come across a commentary that has a sufficient answer. They're given white robes. And the Bible says the church will be clothed with white robes. Now, what does that mean? When our soul detaches from our body, when our soul departs from this flesh, are we wearing literal, physical white robes? I tell you what I believe. The longer I teach the Bible, the longer I study and read the Bible, the more literal I take it. If it says white robes, friends, I believe they are physical Chapter 19, verse 8 calls them dazzling white robes. Amen? Amen. The men who rolled the stone away for Jesus, the two angels, what, what were they arrayed in? White robes. Amen? Amen? Where are we, Kate? I don't even know where we are. You tell me. I don't. You, <laughs> you know everything. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, the, the, oh, 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 okay, yes, yes. So why, so again, and this is just very simple, why, why are the martyrdoms of believers a judgment on the earth? Why is this one of the seal judgments? Because what we said in the beginning, when the restrainer is removed, when the church is removed, when any representation of light is removed off the earth... What kind of darkness do you think is going to prevail? And with the slaughter of who in that day will be tribulation saints, in that day will be Christ's followers. When they are killed off of the earth, it's going to just release more and more and more darkness. And that's why it's a judgment upon the earth. Sixth seal, please. Verse 12 When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, And the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So this sixth seal, now remember, the seventh is going to begin in chapter 8. And what does... The last sets of the seven do, they unroll the scroll. And out of the seventh seal will come the seven judgments. And the escalation increases throughout the tribulation to the point of the last three and a half years, which is called the great tribulation. So today we're going to end our session today with the sixth seal because the seventh will unfold in chapter eight.
The sixth seal is going to be an unshaking. It's going to be a shaking on the earth. It's interesting. If you read Matthew 24, this is the perfect sequence that Jesus taught in Matthew 24. False Christ, the Antichrist, the pseudo-Christ, war, rumors of war, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, and then the devastation that follows that, all the famine, all the death that follows that, and then the apocalypse, this shaking of the physical earth. So this is going to be the sixth seal. These are the effects that's going to be seen on the earth. Caleb, read, read the first verse of the sixth seal for me one more time, please. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. Okay. So this is, if you just want to note this, this is interesting. This is the first of three major earthquakes in the book of Revelation. There is an earthquake here in the beginning of the tribulation in chapter 6. There will be an earthquake in the midpoint, which will be the uh, uh, two witnesses. I can't wait to study the two witnesses with you. That's going to be fascinating. That will be in chapter 11, and we'll be there in just a few weeks. There's an earthquake in chapter 11, and then there is an earthquake in chapter 18 with the fall of the city of Babylon. And we're going to unravel all of that. What is Babylon? Other than Jerusalem, it's the second most talked about city in the entire Bible, beginning in Genesis all the way to chapter 18 of Revelation. It spans the whole Bible. That will be fascinating. But understand, there are three major earthquakes in the book of Revelation, uh, chapters, chapters uh, 6, 11, and 18. And the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Next verse. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now, I'm not going to get into all of this here, just a side note. At some point, I'm going to do a special session I cannot get it. What time is it right now? It's 1239. Oh, oh, I'm way over. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, oh, you know what they tell me back in kids' church? They say when the Holy Spirit moves in the auditorium, the devil's moving in kids' church. So uh, I got to be sensitive to our, to our workers back there. Okay. I can't get into it right now. But just let me ask you. Did you see the report released by the Pentagon and the Department of Defense on aliens and UFOs? Why is this becoming a mainstream topic in the media? Do I believe in aliens? No. But I do believe there's a biblical answer for it. I'm going to do a special session on what the Bible speaks of concerning UFOs and aliens. I'm going to show you how in the days of Noah, fallen angels, it's going to be in the last days. I'm going to show you why Jesus said in Luke, men will look into the heavens and their hearts will fail them. There is something to it. And here's my point. If the sky can be rolled up, you know, scientists believe in multi-dimensions of our universe. 
I have no doubt that one day scientists will open black holes. I have no doubt. Because I believe the universe is multidimensional. If the sky can be rolled up, that means it's multidimensional. So why is the Pentagon reporting sightings of things like UFOs that cannot be explained? The speed with which they're traveling, they can't, they're, they're clocking speeds at 13,000 miles per hour. And they can't explain it. You know why? Because there's far more than this physical, natural realm. And here is my point. Can I have three more minutes? And then I'm done. When Jesus resurrected and he had a glorified body, you remember what he did with his followers? They were locked in a, they were hiding in a locked room. And you remember what Jesus did? He appeared through the wall. You know what the Bible says? That right now it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when he returns, we shall be like him. I believe that means we'll be multidimensional like that. Here's my point. Our universe, I believe, is multidimensional. Why? Because there is a spirit realm. Remember when Elisha was surrounded by the armies of Syria and his assistant was freaking out? And he said, Lord, open his eyes. And he walked out. And what did his assistant see? Chariots of fire with angels surrounding them. Friends, there's a world that you and I can't see. And that's why, here's my point. Don't live for this physical earth. Because there's far more awaiting. Amen? Amen? Now let's finish. Last verse. Who can stand? Well, he asked this question. If the wrath of the Lamb has come, then who can stand? The answer to that question is chapter 7. And that's where we're going to be next week. The answer is going to be the hundred. And 44,000 sealed Jews. The earth will have 144,000 Billy Grahams preaching. Amen. 144,000 Apostle Pauls. Do you use a streaming device at home or at work? Simply say, hey Google, play Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts podcast. And listen to our weekly podcast that is the current sermon that I preach each week at Preaching Christ Church.